harsh, harsher winters with more ice and snow, but I don't know what this unpleasant. So thanks for coming out in the ugly weather. Um, I know at least one person here for the first time. Anybody else? First time? Okay, first time. Okay, welcome. Um, tell you what. Can I borrow that handout? I'm going to get a couple more made. Anybody else need one? I'm not going to refer that for it. I think did we? I have two groups. Does this look familiar? <laughs> Sorry, anybody know? Okay. So impulsivity. It's a little bit more about it before we get into treatment. This is really a really critical piece. It's really something that um, is a major dividing point between the classic ADHD and the you know ADD sort of folks. And impulsivity has all kinds of really serious implications in terms of accidents and social difficulties and so forth. <clears throat> and so um, I've often said that um, being able to pay attention may be a little bit overrated. Uh, being able to control your impulses really is hard to overrate because it really can be quite dangerous and uh, is probably the source of a lot of the significant difficulties that people can get into uh, when they are impulsive. Um, I think I mentioned this, but just quickly, um, it is true that ADHD folks are more prone to get involved in substance abuse, but that is, the best data we have is that that's not a result of growing up taking medication. It's a result of having ADHD. Okay. And I'm, I'm, help, I'm asking for your help because I can't remember what I said to what group, but the you know uh, substance abuse for ADHD kids or people is probably about self-medication, you know, and it's also about being impulsive, you know, saying, well, yeah, um, I'm at the rave and I'll, I'll swallow this pill or whatever it is. Um, so um, we have every reason to believe that if we treat ADHD pretty aggressively, it probably would reduce the chances of the person getting involved in substance abuse. I think that's really... Uh, tobacco, also I mentioned tobacco and vaping, we're really discovering is a massive problem with young adults, teenagers and young adults in general, and particularly with ADHD. Um, uh, we, don't, we don't know yet uh, the vaping piece, and ADHD, but there, there's lots of reasons to think that vaping, which is already rampant among young people, will probably be even more rampant among kids with ADHD. So, um, all right, now I think we're back on track. Um, so this can be, I think in many ways, confusing to people. It, the relationship between ADHD and what psychologists call executive function. And there are, there are psychologists in town <clears throat> who, instead of saying to you, I think your child has ADHD, may say, I think your child has an executive function disorder. And I don't, I'm not sure I'm convinced there's any, that those are different. Um, it's just, I don't know whether psychologists sometimes say that to people kind of in hopes that they'd rather hear executive functioning disorder than ADHD. Um, but ADHD and executive functioning are go hand in hand. And, and 
what that really means is that these kinds of issues are, we mean, you know, executive functioning means sort of brain functions that really kind of manage our big picture lives, you know, what it is as we go through the day. It's our kind of decision-making process, you know, they're kind of higher order uh, functions. We talked about working memory last week as an example of that. We talked about time management. We talked about regulation of emotions. Planning, planning, you know, how many times have I told you to plan ahead, right? Planning is an executive function. We have to be able to have this sense of the future and what's coming up next, and so that's often impaired, the same kind of ideas, thinking ahead, forethought, learning from consequences. All those things are executive functions, and they, so that, that's a simple way, but if people get confused about that as if they're like totally different things. And it's really just, I think of it as kind of two different ways to talk about the same thing. Critical to realize that ADHD, in, in probably as many as 70% of cases, if you've got ADHD, you're going to eventually qualify for another diagnosis, either now or later. So that's really kind of striking, right? Uh, ADHD is very much associated with having other kinds of difficulties. And so, apologize for numbers geek mode again. So this is from some years ago, but I think 2004, but I think this is probably roughly the same. Opposition, so these are boys and girls. If they've got ADHD, what is the likelihood that sometime in their life to get diagnosed with these other disorders? Oppositional defiant disorder is probably leading one. Oppositional defiant disorder is, I like to call this, you say tomato, they say tomato, you know. <laughs> a, a, a child who's just kind of stubborn, um, you know, uh, you can't make me uh, oppositional defiant <clears throat> uh, disorder. Um, I, I really do think that many, many, many of those cases, I want to say most of those cases, are probably a, res a complication of having ADHD. So the way I think about this is, if you've got ADHD and you're trying to get through your day and people are fussing at you and making demands that you on you all the time that you have trouble keeping, at what point do you just say, I'm done, you can't make me, right? You just sort of dig in. And I kind of think that's a complication of ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder. And then enuresis is bedwetting. Uh, major depression. Y'all, I don't mean to beat this to death, but major depression is a, another, you know, extremely serious, life-threatening disorder that causes tremendous suffering. And so I go back to my argument, I hope I made it last week, I'm sure I did, that th this is one of the many reasons that I so strongly advocate that children with ADHD, people with ADHD, be in regular, if not frequent, but regular mental health care, no matter how well they're doing, because of the risk of major depression. And the, getting that, getting intervention for that, getting help for that, is gonna be much, much easier for you or your child if they develop major depression, if they've got an ongoing relationship with a mental health profession. So I think my advice on this is widely ignored. It's also ignored, by the way, by psychologists. And I don't know why, because I've trained all the damn child psychologists in Birmingham. But, um, that, you know, a lot of psychologists will say, everything's going fine, just call me if you need me. I think that's a, not a good idea. <laughs> the better idea is, okay, I know things are going great, let me see you back in six months. Right. Or whatever. Sorry. 
So major depression, anxiety disorders, conduct disorder. Conduct disorder is kind of what oppositional defiant disorder becomes as a kid gets older if it's not checked. So conduct disorder is really kind of like what we used to call juvenile delinquent sort of pattern, you know, really getting in serious trouble. And then bipolar disorder. <clears throat> uh, bipolar disorder, you know, is what we now call, used to call manic depressive illness. A lot of people in my field think that if you've got a child with severe ADHD, it may be really difficult to know, as long as they're children, may be difficult to know whether what they have is severe ADHD or will turn out to be bipolar illness. And um, right now, the best tool we have for trying to figure out whether a child is showing severe ADHD or showing bipolar illness is family history. Because bipolar illness almost always has a family, strong family history of bipolar illness. So um, all that's a long way of saying that, you know, um, people with ADHD are more likely than not going to develop another psychiatric illness. And I won't, I won't repeat yet again about the importance of staying in mental care because I didn't. So this, I just like to throw this in because this is kind of sad and uh, but important. Uh, so this is a study just from a, published a few years ago uh, about girls with ADHD. These are teenage girls with ADHD. A lot of kids in this, a lot of people in this study, 2000, that's a big sample. And these are girls between 8 and 13, kind of then followed into the teenage years. So ADHD girls, left, uh, girls that don't have ADHD, and the likelihood of them developing these disorders. And you can see in, in many of these cases a very dramatic difference between the ADHD girls. But really the reason I wanted to put this up is this, this text, which I, uh, I just think is kind of moving. Girls with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder are at higher risk than girls without ADHD for multiple mental disorders and often lead to escalating problems such as abusive relationships, teenage pregnancies, poor grades, and drug abuse. So um, I feel like I'm kind of beating this to death. It's just one of the many abundant arguments for more treatment and not less treatment. Yes? Well, you kind of said it in the last sentence. With treatment, do these numbers tend to go down? Well, again, it, it, yeah, yes. <coughs> yeah. The reason I'm hesitating is it, it's, this is true of a lot of medicine. It's true of, psych of psychiatry. Sometimes we don't have data that's long-term enough, you know. But rationally, everything tells me that the more treatment, the less likely these things are to happen. I mean, it just makes sense. If, if a lot of these things are the result of impulsivity, being impulsive, then if you are able to control impulsivity with medication, it just stands to reason that it. Um, so um, sort of a theme of this sort of first thing, part of the presentation for finishing up is, I hope you know <laughs> at this point, ADHD is not just about somebody who has trouble paying attention, who may or not may or may not be hyperactive. It's far more complicated. And I just like to throw this in because it's kind of fun and weird. It's just a great example of how complex this is. ADHD patients need to have a, end up getting a lot more dental care. Why? It's a weird finding, right? ADHD people need a lot more dental care. 
Anybody want to take a guess? They can't stay focused long enough to brush their teeth three hygiene. minutes. Right. Hygiene requires not being distracted by something else, <laughs> you know, remembering to do it. If your mom says go brush your teeth, actually following through on that, et cetera, et cetera. So hygiene, anything else? Diet is probably in there because we know that ADHD kids tend to, ADHD people tend to like sort of high carb, sugary diets. Um, okay. Impulsivity means more accidents, which means more trauma to the teeth. <laughs> Poor hygiene. ADHD kids are more likely to grind their teeth, bruxism, that's called. And get this, AD, there appears to be a genetic link that means that ADHD kids literally have thinner enamel. Another thing from genetics is they may be less resistant to oral bacteria, just straight up genetic. So all that to say, holy cow, what a complicated, I don't mean to laugh about it, it's just, I just read it and thought, holy cow. When I, I saw this research, I called my dentist, Kevin Alexander, you know Kevin from the grocery. And Kevin said, that's the nuttiest thing I've ever heard. He came, he came to this series of talks last year. <laughs> so he was glad to hear about it. Let's talk about treatment. Um, so um, the life of the child with ADHD is, can be super sucky, to use technical terms. And um, here's, here's part of what the treat, well, you know, I said last week that I think that only a tiny minority of people with ADHD, including children, get the kind of treatment they really need. Most of them are inadequately treated. So here's why. <clears throat> it starts with a kind of a general tendency to be way too cautious about medicine. So we often say, let's try to get by with the lowest doses of medicine we can. And I challenge that. When, when else do we ever do that with our children? When else do we say, hey, doctor, I know he's sick, I know he's got a disorder, but let's make sure we do as little and as low doses of medicine as we possibly can. And often doctors will say, yeah, sounds good. When else do we do that? Do, do we do that with epilepsy? Do we do that with diabetes, do we do that with uh, ear infections? Do we, we don't do that, you know, except for ADHD because of largely unfounded fears about the medication, which we're going to get into this morning. So they tend to be, doses tend to default to being too low. And then the other thing that happens is people will try Adderall, they'll try Focalin, maybe both of those fail, and then they'll quit. Or right, look at your placement. Your We're going to come back to this. I just want you to glance at it now. As of like last December, when this was updated, these are all the medications that are available. And one of the things the research tells us, this is unfortunate but true, is you cannot predict how a child will do on medication X based on how he did on medications A and B. Which means if you've got a symptomatic person, an ADHD person with symptoms, you need to keep trying medications till they get better. You never want to say, well, he didn't do well in Ritalin, he didn't do well in Focalin, didn't do well in Adderall, therefore he's done. Better. What are some symptoms of not doing well, I guess? I'm sorry. Say it again, I'm sorry. What are some symptoms of not doing well? Like, what do you look for it as a work. parent? I mean, you know, it, 
maybe they have side effects. Uh-huh. Or maybe, you know, the, the teacher might say, well, you know, he's a little bit better, maybe. You know, it's just... Um, so, yeah, it just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so, and that often happens. Uh, and by the way, that's not, again, that's not different from all other kinds of issues with medication. It's not necessarily the first antibiotic that'll clear up your infection. It's not necessarily the first medicine procedures that'll control your, you know. So, now in fairness, I don't mean to be glib about this because it's asking a lot of parents to try six or seven different medications, you know. I understand why people give up, but that's not based on data. What the data tells us is you have to keep trying medications till you get one that works. Uh, so you, you know you have to be willing to say that to your pediatrician. Keep trying, right? What's the next thing to try? Then the other thing that happens is this is the craziest thing. A lot of times parents won't continue the medicine even when they know it works. So, so you know, I, I've lost count of many times I've heard this. Yeah, he took medicine in fourth grade, and he did, he did fine. And then we started out the fifth grade year without medicine. We just wanted to see how it would go. And then, you know, it's not until, like, late November when people start really getting in touch with the fact that he's not doing well again. You know, he's lost all that time. So, again, that's just part of that unfounded worries and fears people have about it. That, you know, they're just looking for reasons to take the kids off the medicine. That's sounds more harsh than I intend. Um, here's another problem. Does behavioral treatment work? It can be extremely helpful. But my reading of the research is that it does not tend to help to do a little bit of behavior treatment. You have to do a lot of behavior treatment. So going to have three visits with a psychologist to learn how to do timeout is, could be helpful, but behavioral treatment requires a lot of, a lot of work. To, to work to, to be able to be effective. And again, that's asking a lot. It's expensive, it's time consuming. Uh, you know, you gotta get your kid out of school and take them to UAB or wherever it is to get, so it's a big deal. And that, so most people just aren't up for it. And, I, and I, I totally get that, right? Yet another reason why, if I was emperor, well, I think I said this last week, I can't keep up with it, is I just bulldoze, you know, Entire mental health system for children put it in schools. Right. Kids actually live and work. And, yes? What do you qualify as or quantify as a lot of behavior treatment? And what are we talking about systems? Are we talking about talking to a healthcare professional regularly or do you all the above? I, well, I, yeah, I think, I think all of the above. I, I really think what it means is is that you, you, it, behavioral treatment in order to work has to be a daily part of the child's life. Like compliance system? Compli yeah, just, just how, how to deal with non-compliance, um, which is a big issue, <coughs> not, not mining. I'm gonna talk about that next week. So uh, yeah, and um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What does that entail? Derailed. I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry. What was basically what does behavior treatment? Yeah, entail yeah. Do? So I think I think um, it it would be finding a psychologist, and for this is typically going to be a psychologist. There are all kinds of good mental health professionals, 
but this tends to be the beta with the psychologist, and you say, I want to do behavioral treatment for my ADHD child that will work, and what that means is lots and lots of parent training. And again, yeah, I know I'm, I'm being circular. What does lots and lots mean? What I'm really saying is three or four visits to learn a couple of skills is probably not adequate. Uh, and that's why people won't tend to do it. Time consuming, expensive, so forth. Most adults in a child's life don't understand the disorder. We've talked about that. And, that, and then there's all kinds of myths and misunderstandings. And people believe things, particularly about the medicine, that are just not so. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. And then the other thing I think is just so tragic is because people don't understand ADHD, the child has a tendency to have judgments made against him about his character. That's what I was saying last week about, oh, he's just lazy, or he's just a behavior problem, or he just has bad parents, or whatever it is. And then, you know, to use technical language, they get fussed at all the day. Day in and day out, people fuss at it. And that just takes a toll on somebody's mental health. So by virtue, I don't mean to keep clapping you guys on the back, but I'm serious about this. By virtue of being here, one of my goals is you'll spend less time fussing at your child and do, and do more helpful things. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Fussing at, fussing at a child who's driving you crazy is the most human thing in the world. Just don't confuse it with something that will be helpful to him. <laughs> it's not going to do him a bit of good. And you know that, don't you? Who really wants to argue that you're fussing at your child's made a difference? <laughs> it's just something we do, you know. That's not going to be helpful, but they get fussed. And that has all kinds of serious implications. What does it mean when a child goes through their life and people fuss at them all the time? I, I often use this metaphor, oops, <laughs> often use this metaphor of, the, of the, uh, a relay race, you know, where you pass the baton, literally. I, sometimes I feel like parents fuss at their kids pretty continuously until they drop them off at school, at which point they just kind of hand the baton off to the educators, who then fuss at the child all day, and then the baton gets passed back to the parent at 3.30. Maybe that's unfair, but it seems that way to me sometimes. What is good treatment if, if kids got the treatment they deserve, and almost none do? I hate to be bleak about it, but it's true. This is what this would look like. You'd get uh, the adults, well-educated about what the disorder is all about. Thank you again for being here. I'm serious. You'd also get parents some skills for being able to manage things at home. And, you know, how do you deal with a child who doesn't mind? How do you deal with uh, this and that? How do you, when do you do, when do you make them do their homework? Do they take a break after school? Do they not take a break? You know, all those kinds of things. Then, part of the treatment package would Something at school to help them. <laughs> you know, it's a customized education. And, um, you know, kids with ADHD are typically eligible for what's called a 504 plan, which means basically a plan that the school puts together to make sure you're kind of leveling the playing field, you know, that you're providing something to be helpful to that child. It should be customized. And, um, most kids will get services through that arena, and I want to get into that because it's so complicated. Um, and then some kids will be served through special education. There is no special education category specific to ADHD, 
But by virtue of the fact that so many kids with ADHD have other disorders, you may get served through that route. Or there's a category called <coughs> other health impaired, which is how often kids with ADHD get served under special education. Way beyond the scope of this conversation, but, uh, and there's all kinds of information out there for parents to kind of work through all of those. And I, I will say this, and I don't say this to all the girls, but um, this, I think this school district does a really good job of trying to figure out how to help kids and, and put those things in place. I, I, you know, so uh, I always encourage parents, go and talk to your counselor at your school, talk about what's available, what kinds of things might, you might be able to do. Um, professional care and monitoring, I've, I've been beating that to death, you know, about um, mental health care and then medication. I'm an unapologetic advocate of medication for ADHD, as you probably have noticed. Now, <clears throat> let me say this, it, it gives me no joy. I mean, I, w I wish that we could find uh, a treatment that comes close to working as well as medication, but it, we just haven't. And because there are so many kids with ADHD, trust me, people have tried to find and then sell other kinds of treatments that will work as well as medication. We haven't found them. We just haven't. And we're going to talk about that. So that's kind of the big picture. That's what, now, I, so I ask you, um, how many kids do you think get anywhere close to that whole package? Uh, maybe much of it. You might get, uh, again, education for the adults is often lacking. Uh, many kids will get medication. Very few kids get the kind of ongoing professional care I think they need. Parents often struggle with how to manage at home. So, it's, you know, it's rare for a child to be getting all these things. All right, let's talk about the medication. Um, so, the medication kind of falls into these categories. Stimulant medications, and those are the most commonly prescribed. That's the your Ritalin, your Focalin, your Adderall, your the vet, almost all the medications, as we'll talk about on your ADHD medicine placemat, uh, are stimulants. Now, people often say, "Wait, wait a minute, my child has trouble focusing and they're hyperactive, and you propose to give them stimulants." And there's kind of a myth about this, one of the many myths, and, and that is stimulants work, stimulants settle ADHD kids down because they're wired up backwards, you know? And that's not really true. I mean, here's a way to think about stimulants, so why would they work for ADHD? ADHD is a problem, among other things, as we know, a problem with focus and attention, being able to focus, and a problem with being able to control your impulses. So uh, how many of you, show of hands, have had some caffeine on board this morning? Yes. <laughs> it's a trick question. That was an overwhelming response. Yes. Uh, wine. Um, coffee, right, for many of us? Always interesting thing about coffee is, um, you ever think about this? You, what is this, like, bitter bean broth? <laughs> you, you really have to acquire a taste for it. Uh, I love this stuff. I, mean, I probably drink six cups of coffee in the course of the day. <laughs> um, 
every office and every school and every building in America has a coffee pot. I remember when we moved into this building, I was here when we moved into this building, first thing to come in the door is coffee pot. <laughs> Why? Well, stimulants help us focus. That's why. I mean, I, I don't. Caffeine's a stimulant. Stimulants help us focus. So if we have coffee on board, we're more likely to be able to focus on what we need to do and not just kind of orbit around the break room talking about, you know, the voice. <laughs> so stimulants help us focus. Stimulants help children with ADHD focus. Now that raises an obvious question, which is why not caffeine? And there are a minority of kids who actually do better with caffeine. But it, the problem with caffeine for ADHD seems to be that if you, if you have them get enough caffeine to really help with their focus, it probably produces more side effects than the pharmaceutical stimulants, like jitteriness and you know, stomach kind of churning and so forth. So it just turns out caffeine is not a particularly good stimulant for ADHD, generally speaking. Uh, there are, I, I've seen a few kids, though, where parents give them some coffee and milk every morning, you know, four or five tablespoons of sugar, and they seem to do a little better. But for the most part, the problem with caffeine is to get enough on board to help with symptoms is going to cause more side effects than Adderall or Focalin or any other medications. So we're going to talk about those stimulants. And as you know, the stimulants are more or less divided up into a group that are short-acting and a group that are longer-acting. Kind of like, uh, basically breaks down to like about three to five hours for the short-acting and about eight to 12 hours for the long-acting. Uh, then we have <clears throat> one medicine that's a non-stimulant that's specifically for ADHD, and that's Stratera, Adamoxetine. And then we have some medicines that are not stimulants that were actually developed for another purpose, but have been found to be helpful for some kids of ADHD. And the best example of that is Intunith and Catbay. Both of those medicines have been around forever in an, under different names for high blood pressure. And it just turns out that there's a subset of kids who benefit from those medications. But the treatment, the first line treatment of choice for virtually all kids with ADHD are going to be the stimulant medications. Ritalin, Adderall, Focalin, and all those things. Okay? Overview. So, Stimulants are the most commonly prescribed by far. They kind of can be divided into short-acting, long-acting. Actually, more really short-acting, sort of intermediate, and then long-acting. But let me just stop and say this now, because this is, this is huge. Uh, and um, there, there are a couple of things I've learned over the years that if parents really learn this piece I'm about to give you, then a lot of their worries about these medicines are go out the door. All right, so <clears throat> stimulant medications, like all these common ones, are water-soluble. They dissolve, they get in the water in your body. You know, we're mostly 
big bags of water, right? <laughs> Gets in the water in your system and circulates in the water, does not get into muscle or fat, stays, circulates with the water in your body. And one implication of that is <clears throat> if a child takes a stimulant medicine in the morning, that medicine will start working in 20 minutes or so. It will work for however long it's supposed to work, and then it's flushed out of the body completely, right? It cannot accumulate in the body. So that has lots of reassuring implications. So let's say your child starts to take a stimulant. And he, let's say, worst case scenario, he has horrible side effects. He can't sleep. He can't eat. And four or five days go by and it's not getting better. You call your pediatrician and you say, oh my gosh, he's a mess. You know, this medicine's awful. And the pediatrician says, don't give it to him again. That night, he's back to normal. It's as if he never took it because it's been completely flushed out of the system. Another way of putting this is, had I taken uh, any of these medicines, including the long-acting ones like, you know, whatever, XR, this or that, if I took one this morning, it turns out I didn't, but it might have been a better idea if I had. But if I did, <clears throat> probably by 10 or 12 o'clock tonight, it would not even be detectable in my blister because it gets excreted out through the urine, just flushed out. So if I take medicine today, there is zero traces of it tomorrow morning, which means if you have a problem, you stop taking it, you're back to normal. So, I, and all, so when I worked at Children's, and this is also true for the 10 years I was in private practice, so 25 years of practice, and we saw zillions of kids with ADHD at Children's, including all kinds of severe cases, beg people to kill you, <laughs> but it won't kill you. So, uh, and that's, so anyway, this medicine's very efficient. It's, another way to think of it is kind of like aspirin or ibuprofen. If I took aspirin this morning for my headache, it's going to help me for a few hours and it's not going to help me anymore. And it's out of the system. There are other medications out there in the world that are not water soluble. They're fat soluble. They have, they're stored in fat. So like marijuana is like that, by the way. You know, that's why if somebody you know, smokes pot this weekend, even two weeks from now, they'll, it'll be detectable um, test because it's stored in fat. Water, like where stimulants live, it's very easy to get out of your body by drinking and peeing. Fat, where some of the other medicines, not for ADHD, are stored, is very hard to get out of your body. I'm here to testify. <laughs> so that's why fat-soluble medicines stay around. They do accumulate the body. But the stimulant medications, in, out, clear which means that's a built-in safety factor. So people say, well, if, I, if he takes this medicine for two weeks, will it change his personality? And the answer is no. He may behave and seem different for two weeks. He may think, seem kind of flat or something, sad. But that's not a change in his personality, right? Personality is a long, kind of enduring thing. Anyway, I need to stop ranting. So they're in and out. That's what that bullet point. In, out. Everybody get it? That's really important. And a lot of times when people hear that, 
they feel much more comfortable trying to meditate. Never, I'm going to tell you the one possible exception of this, in, in all my practice years, seeing zillions of kids with ADHD, I never had a kid develop a side effect that then persisted after you either stopped or changed the medicine. One exception, and even this is iffy. I had a guy who had severe ADHD, took stimulants, and developed ticks, right? And then when he stopped the medicine, ticks didn't go away. Well, you might say, okay, the medicine caused ticks, and now he's permanent. Well, there's a lot of reason to think that one of the disorders that co-occurs with ADHD are tick disorders. So it may be that the medicine kind of brought it out, and then, you know, stopping the medicine didn't make it go away. I really think what it amounted to is that Tourette's disorder, right? So, all that to say, lots of built-in safety issues related to this thing about medicine being in and out. Questions about that? Hey, Dr. Farlow. Sorry. I thought he was going to come in and say hello to you, but no. Do you suggest them taking it on the weekends, too? Yes. They should be on it all the time. As a general rule. Okay. Um, and, and that's something, by the way, that flipped in the course of my practice. In the early 80s when I started, most people were saying, no, just school days only. And then it started to occur to us, there's more to life than school, right? Uh, so you think about accidents which I, I'm big on. When do accidents happen? Weekends. weekends and at night, right? On weekends. Um, and in summers, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, as you might guess, the emergency department of children is a lot busier in the summer than it is during the school year. Uh, so yeah, I'm a, now the default position is every day, unless there's some reason not to, that you can really, that's really crystal clear. So I do. Yes. Do you feel that for um, the combined type and the inattentive types? I do. All types. Yeah. Because even the question is about do I feel that way for non hyperactivated ADHD? I do. And that's, you know, it may be less of an issue, but still, I mean, there's just more to pay attention to in school. You know, more to focus on. So. Yes. But like you said, like, if you miss it on Sunday, it's out of your system anyhow. It's not like you're start restarting. No, that's right. That's another common myth. Is that sometimes we'll, sometimes people, on the weekend, so Yeah, that's right. People sometimes say, well, he needs to take it on the weekend because if he goes off of it, it won't be as effective on Monday. And that's not true. These medicines work day to day to day. You know, they don't work. Now, like, very different from, say, antidepressants, where, you know, you've got to stay on them every day because they don't work. If you get up and you feel sad today and you take an antidepressant, it does zero for you, right? But stimulants are, again, use sort of that aspirin metaphor. Works for a while and then it's gone. And that's a built-in safety factor. Okay. Side effects. Can't remember after all these years if I have another slide about side effects. All right, so the side, here's, we'll get it. Here's the thing to know about side effects. It's related to in and out. If you have side effects, you stop the medicine, the side effects go away immediately. With almost no exceptions. That's why in my very 
busy 25-year practice, I have that one case. I'm not even sure about that. And then, uh, can people get addicted to stimulants? Of course they can. And it happens. Um, happens to nurses, happens to physicians who have access to them, happens to pharmacists, happens to long-distance truck drivers. But there is one way, and only one way, to get addicted to stimulants. And that is, doctor says, take one, and you say, awesome. And then next week you say, I'm gonna have a really rough week, I'm gonna take two. You start taking two. Say, that worked out fine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you say, yeah, no, 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 that won't hurt to take three. Now, at some point, your doctor's going to say, uh, really, you're out of medicine? <laughs> then, you know, so you can't, but somebody tell me how a nine-year-old can get addicted. A nine-year-old is not capable of escalating his dose on his own, right? So addiction to stimulus is a problem sometimes for people who don't have ADHD, but it's not a problem for children with ADHD. Question, yes? So I have a question about side effects and a question about, um, well, addiction possibly, yeah. but say, um, would you talk a little bit about the grit, the side effects of grit? I will. And then also, as far as addiction, I feel like sometimes I hear stories about college kids getting their hands on maybe Ritalin or something yeah, like yeah. that. that yeah. Um, some of them. Yeah, th th these often abused on college campuses, but not an addictive process as a rule. What it, it's something, Frank, has been going on for decades, which is it's finals week. <laughs> Somebody told me if I take an Adderall, I'll be able to focus and study more, maybe stay up later. People do it. People have been doing that forever. When all we have is like Dexedrine, people did that, right? So it's not really recreational. It's typically people who take them because they need to focus. Now, I'm not advocating that. It's a, it turns out to be a federal crime. <laughs> but, but that's what happens. That's what happens. What, one quick word about addiction. I, just like to, uh, I used to get this one a lot. I'll just tell one quick story about this. Father called me. He was mad. And he said, you promised me that Junior would not get addicted to this medicine. And I said, well, I don't know. Sure. I don't think I promised that. But, I'm not. but I probably did reassure him. And he said, well, he's addicted. I said, tell me about it. Oh, I'm so, I said, I'm sorry, tell me about it. He says, well, he took that medicine for a year and a half, and he did better, and we took him off of it, and now he's not doing well. It's <laughs> 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 not addiction, right? <laughs> it just tickled me. I didn't laugh at him, which is good, because he would have beat my butt if I had him so mad. <laughs> yes? I have a question about side effects. Um, I feel like sometimes um, the medicine at a hard dose makes my son more zombie-ish. Yeah. And he doesn't interact, he won't talk, he withdraws. Yeah. And if I lighten it, his personality, because I feel like he's so over-medicated for so many years, so, because he just was a zombie. So, that's a that's a great question. So here's the zombie, that, 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 that's the, not the technical, we don't have a technical name for that, by the that's way. What, so that's everybody our goes family technical term. That. <laughs> right. So, um, all right, it's a really good question. So, um, what's the zombie effect all about? Okay, y'all bear with me on this. Focus and our tendency is to think the more focused, the better. But that's not really true. Okay, so 
let, let's go back to our caveman days, right? So I'm a, I'm a caveman. How hard is that going to happen? And I'm trying to build a fire. I need to focus on the fire in order to be able to build a fire. I need to be able to focus on that task. However, if a bush rattles nearby, I need to be able to be distracted away from my fire so that the saber-toothed tiger doesn't eat me, which would be a drag right, for both of us. So that's true of, we, there's a sweet spot of attention, which is enough, but not too much. So if medication is, particularly with higher doses, or a child is more sensitive to it, you get over-focus. That's the most fascinating doorknob I've ever seen. <laughs> and so often when you back off a little bit from the dose, that kind of goes away. Now, related to that is another side effect that doesn't really have a name. When, and particularly, you see this in teenagers, which is, I'm focusing better, I know it's helping me in school, but I'm just not myself. And not myself usually means like, um, I've always been kind of like the life of the party, and now I'm just not. My friends say I'm not as much fun. Now, here's the question. Is that a side effect? Or part of what you're trying to get? Instead of cutting up all the time, now he's actually stuck. <laughs> so, you know, it ends up being kind of more complicated. You know. but, but yeah, the zombie effect is very common, and usually either a child is just very sensitive to that particular medicine or the dose is too high. So you want to back off? Back off. That's what people usually do, back off a bit. Yes. At some point in these series, we, you, you talk about um, maybe conversations that we can have with our kids, like if you want to start medicine yeah. versus not in like yeah. addiction, because it's hard. Um, you know, you know. For example, if your child's going to need a booster, how do you say it's time to take another pill? So you know, like, will you no, go I'll, over some yes, helpful conversation? Ask me that question next week. But let me. Just, I'll just preview by saying I'm a big, big believer in transparency with our kids about this. So I don't approve of not telling kids what their disorder is. I, I, I believe seven-year-olds ought to know they have ADHD. Um, and, and that we, you know, that we, kids under, yeah, that it, it, you have to change the medicine or increase medicine, how to talk to kids about that so that it doesn't get misheard or misunderstood. So yeah, we talked about that. That is important. Okay. Just some quick things about some of the newer ADHD medications. It, um, I just kind of made these notes. Do y'all have this? No, sir. Okay, I couldn't remember if I did it after. Um, th these are just some of the new ones. Um, doesn't mean they're better, just they're different. Uh, Cotempla XRODR, wow, AM and FM, CIA, whatever. Uh, the XR, extended release. The ODR, orally dissolving something. They melt in your mouth, not in your hands. That um, I mean, you put them in your mouth, and they <coughs> or they're chewable. Most of the time, they just dissolve. Uh, there are a lot of medicines now coming out that way. I take Claritin. There's a new Claritin. It's the weirdest thing. It's like this little wafer. Put it in your mouth, and it's like gone. It's the weirdest thing. Anyway, and then so that's that. Now, oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. The stimulant medications in terms of their active ingredient, all either are in the methylphenidate family. Methylphenidate is real. Okay. 
or they're in the Adderall family, which is, is amphetamine. I know it always kind of shocks people to hear that, but they, they are in fact amphetamines. So all those medicines on your placemat that are stimulants are either in the Ritalin family or they're in the Adderall family, okay? So the, how they differ is dosing, the form, capsules, tablets, chewable liquids, and then how they release over time in the body for the ones that are long acting. okay? So these are the Ritalin family. So all day, like how much time are you saying when you say all day? Eight, 10, 12 hours. Okay. Depends on the child, depends on the medicine. And as your child gets older, do you change dosage? Do you look at new medicine? Do you? Yes. <laughs> you, uh, as they get older, they got more body mass, right. and these medicines don't know to turn left, you know, at the jugular. <laughs> so they're in your toes, where they're not doing a lot of good, <laughs> right, circulating in all the water, right? So as people get bigger, they typically need more medicine. But it's not true that you just have to keep increasing, increasing, increasing. It's usually just kind of a few steps. Oh, and sometimes, yeah, you end up having to change. Some kids kind of habituate to the medicine over time. Right. And then you tr try. I've had patients before that might take Adderall for two years, and it kind of burns out, flip, they take something else for two years and flip back. Aptensia is a time-release capsule all day. It's new. Quillamont is a liquid, but it's extended release, which is cool. So I don't, I can't remember how it works, whatever you do. But, you, it, but even though it's a liquid, it does extend out 8, 10, 12 hours. Quillichu is a chewable, also extended release. And Hansia is kind of really new and controversial. Um, it's basically just another time release version of the rhythm, but they're high doses. So that's not going to be a typical first thing. That's going to be a kid with more severe symptoms that's going to be on Jordana, this is the dangerous thing. I didn't even know about this until I went to this conference, even though it's been out for a little bit. So Jordana, you take it at night, a child takes it at night, but it does not release. It's got its coated or something. So it just is in the gut for 10 or 12 hours. And then that means it actually starts working early in the morning. So the patient wakes up with it in her bloodstream. So I think the market for that's going to be these kids roll out of bed, you got to get breakfast done before you give them their medicine, you use other medicines. And in the meantime, you can't get them to get their socks on. <laughs> so that's the market for that. So it kind of bombs the kid, you know, about six o'clock, <coughs> whatever it is. I don't know, we'll see. I don't know anything about it. Now I have, I have no experience with it. And have yet to talk to anybody who's child's on it. Brand, it's brand, not fine, but not brand, it's maybe eight or nine months. Weird, right? So, all right, these are in the Adderall family. Um, Adzenus, I guess, another extended release, melts in your mouth, time release. Another liquid, another liquid, a chewable. Avicchio is another short-acting Adderall. Vicchio, there's that one again, melts in your mouth, not your hand. 
Zenzetti is Adderall, but the only difference is it comes in different doses. So instead of like 5, 10, 20, it's like 2.5s. So it's just another way. If your kid needs a specific dose, you don't want to fool around with trying to make Adderall work, you use that instead. Procentra is another Adderall type medicine. It's liquid, but it's short acting, meaning for three, four, five hours. Do you know where Vivance would be on this? Well, Vivance has been out for a long time. Vivance is in this family. Wait a minute, no, 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 that's not true. Vivance is in the Adderall family. Right, and Vivance is what they call a prodrug, which means some of the symptoms like stomach queasiness has to do with the stimulant getting in your stomach, kind of laying there. Vivance um, does not activate until it gets out of the liver. It's processed in the liver, so it, it doesn't do anything for stomach. It also is almost impossible to abuse for that reason. So Vivance has done extremely well in the market, so to speak, because uh, of the low abuse potential and that business about reducing stomach side things. Does the stimulant treatment of ADHD lead to substance abuse? I think I'll leave that to death. Uh, so, all right, somebody asked about growth suppression. All right, so this is complicated. Um, but let me, let me, let me start with what we think is the bottom line, and I'm going to work backwards. If most children, most people, most children, who take student medications, even for you know, several years, are not going to have growth suppression. But there's a, it may be that there's a group of kids, uh, we don't know who they are, but there's, there's some minority of kids who do have some growth suppression. But it appears that when all is said and done, on average, if a kid was destined to be 5'11", and he stays on stimulants, he might end up being 5'10". It, nobody has any evidence that a child who is destined to be six feet tall ends up being Mike Bloomberg size. <laughs> that was an impulsive. Clearly, I do have ADHD. A kid who's six, supposed to be six feet tall is not going to end up being five four. So then you ask yourself. Uh, what are the implications of under-treating my child's ADHD versus having a kid ends up being an intratutorial? To me, no contest. Maybe for you there is a contest. But I don't think anybody's not going to play in the NBA <laughs> because they took Ritalin. I don't mean to be glib about it. I mean, some people do worry about this. All right, so I just got to tell the story. So I had a kid I treated. His parents were divorced. His mother always brought him. I never met the father. And this child was somewhat short when we started treatment. And so I talked to the mother about it, you know, that one of the things we had to watch is how he was growing and so forth. But he had pretty severe ADHD. So anyway, about a year later, my receptionist buzzes in the office and said, Mr. So-and-so is in the waiting room. I've never met him. And he is hopping mad. He wants to talk to you right now. I've never met him. So I'm going to work backwards. His, he came to really bitterly complain about the fact that his child was too short. 
and it was definitely enough medicine. That's, that's what it takes to do. Here's the punchline. I go out to the waiting room, and this man, <laughs> he's about this tall. He was a tough guy who had a leather jacket on, kind of neck tattoo going on, fighting that, but maybe five group. And he was so angry because the child was short. <laughs> My fault. I'm sorry. I still think about that. Even though he's that, I'm convinced if he'd done an uppercut, he would have cold cocked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> on my way It's by the way, happened to me one time. When I was an intern, I was in a family therapy session. This is at the medical center in West Virginia. And this there was this lady who had bipolar illness, and she was about to talk. And she she tried to leave this room when we were in the middle of the session, and the psychiatrist says, Dale, don't let us go. And so I stood in front of the door, and she kind of walked up to me like this, you know, this top of her head, and she just kind of vibrating. And the psychiatrist spoke to me, and I looked at it, and she caught me. <laughs> and I went down. <laughs> so I opened my eyes, and it was just like a circle of faces around me. I'm on a stretcher. <laughs> Only uh, all these years later, I laugh about it. It's not that funny at the time. Right? So you can imagine the ribbing I got about that. Having a really short lady is not <laughs> All right. Uh, any questions about that? Yes? Well, on the topic of growth, yeah. let's just not talk about height. Let's talk about weight. Okay. Because, as we all know, they don't eat. Well, that's not true. And moms alike, I'm sure many of us really can agree, it breaks your heart when your kids don't eat. Yeah, well, it's not true that they don't eat. It may be true your child doesn't eat. <laughs> so, um, now, in, in fairness, appetite suppression is, is a side effect of stimulants, no matter who takes them, you know, which is why it used to be stimulants were used as diet pills, you know, because they suppress appetite. So, um, there's a group, there's, now, the, the medicine should only dull appetite when it's in their system, mm -hmm. right? So often how people can get around that, not in all cases, is first of all, you load them up with calories at breakfast before they take the medicine. So their appetite should be good in the morning. So you get as many calories as you can. Lunch is going to be the one most likely to take because that's when the system, when the medicine wears off at the night, the appetite suppression should go away. So if they, instead of saying, you have to sit at the dinner table eat with the rest of the six o'clock, if they're hungry at eight o'clock, you feed them at eight o'clock. And then you also have to take this kind of approach that's the opposite of the approach I have to take in my life, which is you have to think about how to pack in calories. So I should be eating cheddar cheese. The child has trouble, you know. So again, and now I had I had patients over the years that had kind of chronic issues about you just had, you had to deal with it. But I never had one, you know, kind of dry up and blow away in the breeze. It's, it's typically manageable. Uh, but it requires a little creativity, like when you feed them, how you feed them. You know, uh, if there's a brand of protein bar they love, 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 you know, great way to get in calories. So, so it's typically manageable. But there are, I have had patients that just have horrible appetite suppression. You know, and it really wasn't. It's also another one of those things where some medicines, even in the same family, 
almost without any logic to it, will not suppress appetite like other medicines. So, thank you. Okay. Um, so, all right, now let's look at your place in that. Borrow All right, so by the way, this is, um, I think there's a website address here someplace. This gets updated every time the new medicine comes out. Um, but you can just Google it. See, Cohen Children's Health. Actually, I think I've got this link on your PowerPoint somewhere. So if you ever want to like, download it, kind of look. But, so part of the lesson about this is, holy cow, we've got a bunch of medicines. Um, a lot of options for kids. So let me just kind of get you oriented to this. Let's start with this page. It's got these rectangles here I'll get to in a minute. Uh, all right. So this, this page, all of these are in the Ritalin family. The active ingredient is methylphenidate. Methylphenidate is the generic for Ritalin. Some of these I talked about, you know, when I talked about some of the new ones. But you're going to see here the, in that sort of salmon, peach color, whatever that is, those are the medicines that are the longer acting ones, but meaning try to get them through the whole day until about dinner time, right? And they differ in how long they last, and that often is very dependent on the individual child. It's, it's sort of a kind, sort of a multiplication. It's the nature of the medicine and the nature of the child, you know, how long they actually last. So like anything else, the people who market these medicines say, oh, 12 hours, and your mileage may vary, as they say. Your child may burn it out in eight hours or it may last longer or whatever. So these are, you know, kind of uh, rough estimates. So um, then in, that, in, the, uh, in the blue thing there is that that little one line is that time release thing that doesn't activate until in the morning. You take it at night and then it opens up, gets in the system in the morning, that's during 8 p.m. Then you've got that yellow box, which is the short-acting medicines, meaning three, four, or five hours, which by the way used to be almost all we had you know, in the early days. A lot of and this, so to anticipate a question you're going to have is a lot of, one of the uses now of these short-acting medicines is, okay, you get a kid who's taking a long-acting medicine and he takes it at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever, it's wearing off at 7 o'clock, and let's say he's in junior high school, he's got homework, and the medicine's going to wear off, and you've just got naked ADHD at night. So cautiously, what sometimes doctors will do is have the child take a low-dose of a short-acting medicine late in the day to give a little bit of focus at night. You have to be careful about that because of sleep, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like drinking two cups of coffee at dinner. Uh, so it can interfere with sleep. So that is done. Oops. Um, right. These are what's known as a booster. I'm sorry, say again? These are what's known as a booster, right? Yeah, people call that a booster, late, a late booster. And yet again, that's, it's doable, but uh, you have to be very careful because of the, mostly about sleep. Yes? But are all the booster pills like that 
long act like where they need to build up in your system or is this just a specific? None of, no stimulant builds up in your system. Okay, because our doctor was basically like, take the booster when you need it, take it when you don't. So I was just confused about that. And that's fine. Like, so you get a kid, let's say, for, for the booster, it could be that if she has no homework, you're going to have to give it. So you can literally do that as needed. Uh, again, and that goes to the short acting nature. It then it's out. But you do really have to watch the sleep. Uh, so it's not an ideal solution. Just give a couple of coats. But again, so you, you, you can try caffeine, but you're still going to have the same issue with having stimulant on board. You know, the may or may not interfere with sleep. So um, yeah, it's not ideal. <sighs> Something I'm going to get in trouble or not. Uh, I am categorically opposed to homework. Uh, I don't know how I kept my job here for 12 minutes. Uh, Dickie Barber's rolls his eyes every time. But I also believe that, in the, and I think I'm going to talk about this next week, with ADHD, I'm, uh, ADHD kids ought to have a wholesale reduction in their homework. They just should not go home the same amount of homework as other kids. That's, a, in my opinion, a combination should be made for all kids with ADHD. I'm, I, please don't for Well, I don't <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to try to keep my contract here a little bit longer. We probably all agree with you. Yeah. Well, now, in fairness, I mean, here's a bitter reality about Mountain Brook, Alabama, is if, if Dickie Barlow said next week, we're going to eliminate homework, half the town would cheer and half the town would hand us car heads and say we're lowering our standards and so forth. You cannot win. It's one of many situations <laughs> where you can't win. But the reason I'm opposed to homework <clears throat> is, is because of the research. And the research is that it does nothing to advance the education of elementary age kids. Uh, and it takes up a lot of time and causes a lot of stress and so forth. So that's why I'm against it. Now there's some evidence that at, at high school level, homework can help education, but only when it's limited to about 90 minutes a month. And after that, you get diminishing returns. So it's just one of those things. It's a tradition, um, and you know, again. Uh, any, any school district like this that bans homework, you'll have people that are celebrating, people that are ready to fire the whole school. So. <laughs> there probably is a compromise in there somewhere. Okay. If I don't lose my job, I'll be here next week to finish out the series. <laughs> if not, if not, we just come to the house and I can fire the house. I got a basement, we'll be fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> questions about stimulants? I may, or, I may have more to say about it, but anyway, okay. Yes? So um, you're talking about you know, this booster to help get through the homework and stuff, but what do you recommend for kids when they start driving and is that? Oh, Lordy. This is a big problem, and there's no easy answer. I mean, um, so, you know, we talked last week, right, about the risk of having ADHD and driving, and they are substantial. Um, when do kids drive? at night and on weekends, right? So that's another argument, by the way, for the weekend piece about taking medicine you know, on weekends. But even then, come at nights. And um, 
So uh, in an ideal world, uh, you know, no teenager would drive without stimulants in their system. But that goes to the whole problem about what if they're driving at night and have stimulants on board, how do you deal with it? By the way, if we made if we made policies based on data, which we don't do, if we, if we made policies or law based on data, frankly, children with ADHD, people with ADHD ought to have the whole process of being licensed delayed by a year or two. Um, I mean, there's pretty good research that that would improve their safety issue. You know, you could make the case that an ADHD 16-year-old should just not be driving. Um, well, there's a whole, I mean, there's, come to my teen driving talk. There's also a very good argument that nobody ought to be driving until about 17. The longer we delay it, the more kids you save. But that's the bottom line. You save lives. Even if you delay licensure by six months. We said you can't be fully licensed if you're 16 years, six months. You would save the lives of teenagers. So why do we do it? I mean, of course, we all hope our kids don't abuse alcohol in high school. Yeah. But how does alcohol interact with a stimulant if they're not? I mean, just period. You know, if you have that child, let's hope they don't. But I mean, like, they're at night and it's driving, and what did alcohol and stimulants do together? Uh, sort of cancel each other out. Alcohol is a suppressant, as a central nervous system suppressant, alcohol. Stimulants are obviously stimulants. So it, that's one of those things that is highly different from child to child. Um, but I, I can't, the trouble I have with answering that question is I feel so strongly um, that a teenager should not drink alcohol that I can't get past that enough to say. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, so now, is, is there something like if you have stimulants in your body and you drink, is there some particular danger to that? Like, do they get an extra high, I guess? Not it's really. my concern to it, even be like, ooh. It's, it may be similar to this thing we've been talking about where, okay, if kids are drinking alcohol and also down in Red Bulls, which happens, by the way, it may be that the stimulation from the Red Bull, which you know, happened, uh, is masking their impairment from the alcohol. In other words, they don't feel as impaired, right? There's all kinds of things about this out there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, should you mix alcohol and stimulants? No, you shouldn't. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, it's not like their heads are going to explode. Uh, that's the only danger we particularly know of is this thing of kind of masking the suppressed the impairment to get alcohol because you're popped up on Red Bull. And I think the same thing would be true with Well, I think that's such a valid question because of what you were saying earlier, that this is a, like, you promote lifelong treatment. And so take it out of the teenage category, and hopefully our children that are on ADHD medication will be treated for their lifetime. Yes. And so even as adults that are of age, like we need this this is a valid conversation to be having with them, not just for their teenage years, but for as an adult. Yes. Like this is this is the reaction of these two things. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, the best in general, the best thing we can do with all of our kids 
is explain to them why it is a terrible idea to drink. The earlier you start, I mean, I know, I know people won't get tired of me doing this thing, but you know, the data could not be clearer that when we sort of take an attitude in this town as well, oh, you know, they're gonna drink, we're, we're, we're making terrible decisions. We, we ought to be willing to say to our kids, what we're willing to say to our kids, it is unlawful to drink before you're 21. We are a law-abiding family. Furthermore, it is flat bad for you. It, it, your brain's still developing. I'm not going to have it. Now, here's what I said to my daughters. My wife and I said to my daughters. Um, you may not drink. Now, I'm not, na I, I'm, I'm not naive, honey. I know that the fact that I say you can't drink doesn't mean you won't. But just understand, if I learn you're drinking, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to either deal with it as a disciplinary issue, because I told you not to do it, you did it, or I'm going to deal with it as a health issue, that you've got a problem. But I'm not going to turn my back on it. So, oh my God. Dr. Weiser, we need to let, we need to supervise their drinking when they're in high school so they can practice drinking before they go off to college. We're not talking about learning to play the clarinet. I mean, what? <laughs> and furthermore, the research, oh my gosh, I can't stop. I'm trying to stop. The research tells us that the more supervised drinking teenagers do at the lake, the more unsupervised drinking they do, not less. That's another talk. Okay. Stratera is a non-stimulant medication. It's chemically related to antidepressants. Um, but it's not an antidepressant, it's chemically related. Um, oh, I need to update this. It says two to four weeks to get going, and it does accumulate in the body and stays in the system like an antidepressant. It's really more like four to six weeks, which is not good. You know, most people are not willing to wait. Um, there are some side effects. Um, it's not, they're, they're not, they don't frequently happen, but there are some pretty nasty things that can happen to Stratera. And my experience has been that Stratera, when it works, it works well. It works, I don't have the data to support this. In fact, the data is kind of different in this case, but when it was out when I was still in practice, it seemed to be like about maybe one out of six kids responded well to it. And I could never figure out who they were. So this uh, <laughs> should be a last case. Yeah, there are, there, I don't think there are many doctors left who will start with that. If they do start with it, it'll be because they see a kid who's got ADHD and symptoms of depression. Is that common for ADHD to be depressed? Yes. Yeah. Depression is a major complication of ADHD. So, like, what do you look for? You look for symptoms of depression. You look for irritability, sadness, Low energy, changes in sleep, changes in appetite, feeling hopeless. Okay, um, that's fair. Now, let's talk about alternative treatments. Here's your, I'm sorry about this font size, and we can try to do better. Here's your Uncle Dale's rule of some that comes with alternative treatment. Some studies show some ADHD people. They get some better on some alternatives. None of them work as well as medications for the vast majority. They're not a substitute for conventional treatment. 
most of the ones that are talented do not work where there's no evidence that they work. And I'll talk about the exceptions to that. We have two things that are alternative treatments we think might help. One we're pretty sure will help. I'm going to get to that. So rarely, the way to think of this is some kids may do a little bit better with some kind of alternative treatment added on to the other more conventional treatments like that. I always suggest to people, this is kind of contrary to the times we're living in, don't talk to me. I, somebody came up to me and said, Dale, I disagree with what you said about uh, chiropractic helping ADHD. <coughs> I said, what? Because going to the chiropractor for ADHD is not going to help. <laughs> so, so I disagree with you. Uh, why do you disagree? Well, because my sister lives in Atlanta, and her next-door neighbor's child went to a chiropractor who was better. <laughs> I'm, this does not impress me, right? What impresses me is research, right? And so look for a research basis, not anecdotes or individual stories or whatever. And then you have to consider cost benefits. Um, so, anyway, let's get into some of these. These are alternative treatments that are sometimes hyped that have either inadequate research or none. Right? Dietary supplements, like things you buy. Um, you know, vitamins and different things you buy, health food stores. And I've got an asterisk on that because we'll talk about it, an exception in the um, herbal supplements, multivitamins, ADHD diets. And I think I have another slide coming up on that, do I? Um, yes. Oh, good. Okay. Food dyes. It could be that there's a small subset of kids with ADHD that do kind of respond to some food diets, but it's not a big deal for most kids. Homeopathy you know, has highly diluted different things you can buy. You know, chiropractors can't help your child with ADHD. Now, <clears throat> see, here's why. Here's how it gets tricky. Um, I got a massage yesterday. I'm seeing massage therapist. I had a lot of trouble with my dad. Uh, uh, I feel really a lot better. <laughs> in general, I feel a lot better. So it could be that there are sort of non-specific things. When you lay hands on people, you know, it has kind of a placebo effect. And, uh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm all about the placebo effect. Whatever makes, but, the, but the theory behind seeing a chiropractor helping you because your spine is popping a line makes your ADC better. Uh, there have been people out in Cahaba Heights that have been doing EEG biofeedback electroencephalogram, brainwave feedback for 35 years in the absence of research that suggests that helps. Now, there is some research that suggests that, again, the rule of some, of some kids might get some improvement with that, but not as a substitute for conventional treatment. Birmingham has always been kind of one of the seats of, there, there were optometrists, there are optometrists in Birmingham they were trained by a guy at the optometry school who would say you can help ADHD by these visual eye exercises. And there's still some op one of those optometrists in town who do that. Visual eye exercises, which might, might help if ADHD had anything to do with the eyes. Which it doesn't. <laughs> so I regard that oh, with all due respect as quackery. Um, with all due respect. Also, you, you, know, you can have the child lie on the couch in the therapist's office and talk about his mom and get his dreams interpreted and 
But you're not going to get down to the root of the problem and say, oh, here's why I can't pay attention. 